Hi, I'm Jonathan Pennington, and this is the Human Flourishing Podcast. This podcast is a repository of a wide variety of sermons, lectures, interviews, and other resources that I've recorded over the years. Today's episode is a sermon I preached at Sojourn East in Louisville, Kentucky. Today's scripture is from Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad barren women, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her husband, than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Jonathan Pennington. I'm part of the preaching staff here, in case I haven't met you before. Um, But my full-time job is actually as a professor, and I bring that up just to say that all of my students, some of you I've had in class before, know that sooner or later in my lectures... Broadway musicals are going to come up because I love Broadway musicals, a lot of the, all different ones, but I especially oftentimes end up finding myself lecturing about Beauty and the Beast for some reason. And uh, it's such a great one. There are lots of different versions of it, but I especially love the original Broadway one uh, with the music by Alan Menken. And it's such a great story at so many levels. Um, it's a love story. The good guys win. Belle develops as a character, all these kind of things. The way the little musical elements keep re- repeating themselves, et cetera. But here's the question I want to ask to get us into our passage for today. What's the relationship of Beauty and the Beast? Let me just assume you know something about that. And another modern classic, Shrek. Have you ever asked yourself what the relationship of these two stories is to each other? Maybe you have your homework this afternoon. That's what you're going to spend your Sunday afternoon doing, watching. Well, I'll give you the, I'm not actually going to answer that right now. I'll give you the short answer that it's a tale as old as time with a twist. So I want you to just hold that thought as we enter into this rather difficult passage for today, and we'll come back and see how that applies. Now, here at Sojourn, if you've been around for a while, you know that we have been preaching through this little part of the New Testament that we call the letter to the Galatians. Uh, And we're going to see today, if you've been around, that actually the argument today, the point that Paul's making is very much the same as what he's been making uh, each week. And so we'll see that. If you're new today, if you're maybe visiting or maybe you're in Louisville for Thanksgiving, visiting aunts and uncles or parents or grown children, maybe you don't even want to be here this morning. Maybe you got dragged here by family members. Whatever it is, we're glad you're here 
And it would be helpful to understand that, again, we are going through this, this book, and so we're about in the middle of it or two-thirds of the way through this letter from the New Testament written about 2,000 years ago, and that's what we're preaching through. Either way, whatever camp you're in, I think it's good to understand again that this letter of Galatians really has one point, a really clear point, and the point is this, that Jesus Christ has opened a way to God, the way to God that is now open to any person regardless of their ethnicity or education or religiosity. Anyone who becomes united with Jesus Christ by faith can now know the true God of the universe. That's the the main point. But the problem that Galatians is, is addressing here is that not everybody in Paul's day, including the Jewish people themselves, interpreted Jesus quite that way. Instead, a lot of people wanted to say, yes, we believe in Jesus, and you also have to still obey the Old Testament law to be a true Christian. And that's a problem, Galatians is arguing, the Apostle Paul is arguing in Galatians, because that way of relating to God through the Mosaic Covenant rather than through Jesus is a dead way. It's a way that's not going to bring life to you. It's a way that's closed, and it's limited only to a time and a people. And so Paul's making this argument all the way through, and we're, we're going to be in chapter 4, as we just heard read, but right before this in chapter 3, Paul introduces a very important character from the Old Testament to make part of his point. Who's that character? That character is Abraham, very important guy from the Old Testament, and he's going to be making an argument all the way through chapters 3 and 4, including our passage today, that all center on Abraham. In 3.14, for example, he said, Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that is, to everyone, to non-Jews as well, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we all people in the world might receive the promise of the Spirit. Galatians 3.28, Paul says it this way, Therefore, there's no longer any distinctions between humans because there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then in 4, 1 to 11, he talks more about this. So that, that's our setup. And it's really, really important because honestly, the passage we're looking at today is confusing. All right, it's, it's, it's complex, and I want to try to explain it to you, but this is the run-up to it. And so the, there are four kind of moves or things I want to go through today in, in quick order to try to make sense of this passage. When I saw that this passage fell to my lot of preaching, I thought, ah, why did this fall to me? But I'm going to trust God that he, he wanted us and has something to say to us today for sure. So here are the four things I want to do to try to make sense of this. And I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into it. So the first is I want to ask, what's the Old Testament story? What's going on in that Old Testament story that Paul's talking about? Secondly, what's the new story that Paul's telling about this? Like, what's he saying about that Old Testament story in a new way? Then I want to just talk for just a couple of minutes about what does this all tell us about how the Bible works? Because that's a kind of confusing part of this that I think will make sense. And then most importantly, I want to end by just saying, how, how does this apply to us? That's what really we want to get to. So let me pause and, and pray once more for God to help us understand. God, this is your work today, uh, we're gathered here today uh, 
not because we really have anything to offer you or any great wisdom, but because you call us to assemble together, to learn, to worship, to love one another, to grow in relationships. And we know that you use the Bible to to shape us in that. So I just yield myself to you and I ask for my tongue and these ears to be gifted by the Spirit so that we can understand you. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Got your thinking caps on? All right. First part, the old, the old story, what's going on, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Okay, now that story that Paul references here, it's an old one. It goes way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis, and really the place where Genesis really gets going. The first 11 chapters of Genesis, we call the primordial history. It's about creation and the things that happen, but it's really Genesis 12 where the story gets going in of Israel and of all, all Judaism and really all the world. And way back in Genesis 12, there's an old guy, although he's very vibrant and alive. He's, he's 75 years old. His name is Abram. He's a pagan. He's successful, but God calls him to leave where he lives and go to Canaan, which is basically modern-day Israel, Syria, Jordan, that area. And he does this. So he follows God, and he, he leaves and takes all his, he takes his wife, Sarai, and his nephew, and they go to this land that God told him to go to. It's all great. And through a number of twists and turns in Genesis, he's very successful and he's, his crops are growing and he's, he's wealthy and he's, he's respected. But there's a problem. He's getting old and he doesn't have any children. In fact, Abram and Sarai were barren and they're, they're grieved by this. They've never had any children. They're anxious about the future of the line. And they have a nephew, Lot, again, but he turns out to get himself into a lot of mess and he doesn't seem to be a very good heir. And so they're wondering what's gonna happen. And then all of a sudden, God who first told him to go, shows up and he makes this amazing promise to Abram. He says, you can see it there in Genesis 15, the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. And if, if indeed you can count them, and then he said, so shall your offspring be. That is, you're going to have as many descendants, more descendants than you can ever count. And so, and then God promises that these descendants will own all the land around. And this is what the, the Bible calls a covenant, a, a promise, a relationship that God makes between himself and someone. And that's awesome. It's cool. There's only one problem. Again, Abram and Sarai have never been able to have children, and now they're way too old anyways. So there they were. They have this promise from God that says they're going to have tons of children and descendants. They're going to own this and they, they're barren. So they do the math and they come up with a plan. Sarai decides that Abram should also marry one of their servant girls, a girl named Hagar, who will give them a child that then Abram and Sarai will take as their own. You should be feeling right now, this is a bad idea. <laughs> and it was a bad idea. But they go with the plan and it works out. At least Hagar does have a son, but immediately... Sarai regrets this and there's tension and jealousy and it's just a big mess. And then nothing else happens for 13 long years. 13 years, they don't hear from God. They've got the son, he's growing. And then in Genesis 17, Abram is now 99 years old. Sarai is 90. God all of a sudden shows up again. He renews his covenant promise with Abraham 
and says, part of this deal is that you and Ishmael, the son that you've had, need to be circumcised. Abram somehow says, cool, and gets circumcised and circumcises Ishmael. And then God says, by the way, I'm changing your name because your name used to be Abram. Now it's going to be Abraham, Abraham, because I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And and by the way, I'm going to change your wife's name too. It used to be Sarai. Now it's going to be Sarah because she'll be the mother of many nations. And of course, Abraham's response is laughter. (laughs) He says, knee slapper, God, what a hoot. You're such a kidder. My 90-year-old wife is going to have a child? And God says, yep, this year. Well, there's more laughter in the next chapter when Sarah hears, and laughter is maybe generous, right? And when she hears that she's 90 years old and going to have a child, I'm 48 and we're done, right? Imagine 90. Sure enough, through many twists and turns, that year, Sarah got pregnant by Abram. They bore a healthy son. And what did they name him? Isaac, because that means laughter. And everything's great. It's a miracle. But then, cue dark and ominous chords, the plot thickens because the question becomes, who's the heir? Is it Ishmael, the firstborn son? Or is it Isaac? And Sarah and Hagar Hagar are fighting about this, I'm sure. There's tension. And, And then we begin to see in Genesis that Ishmael He also is, is of course, very aware of the situation. Now this young boy is supposedly the heir, but he's been the heir. He's been with Abraham the whole time. And one day, Sarah sees Ishmael laughing, same idea again, laughing at her, mocking Isaac, and she gets mad. That's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And she says, no more, Abraham, send them out. And so Abraham does. They send Hagar and Ishmael way into the desert, basically to die, so that Isaac alone would be the heir. Now, there's more to the story that goes beyond our time here this morning. Hagar and Ishmael, God provides for them. Very importantly, in the history of the world, this story is so crucial because both within Judaism and within Islam, they both tell basically the same story here. Hagar and Ishmael become the beginning of the Arab people, and then Ishmael is the ancestor of Muhammad himself within Islam. Both Jews and Muslims will both affirm that, right? So it's a very important story, and it's a mess. It's messy emotionally. It evokes all kinds of questions in our minds, but it's really crucial to the whole story of Israel because Abraham begets Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, God shows up and changed Jacob's name, Jacob's name to Israel, and hence the whole history of Israel in the Old Testament. So that's the Old Testament story. That's the old story, tale as old as time, right? But what's the new story? What's the new story that Paul tells in light of this? Well, let's read it again. And hopefully this will make more, a little bit more sense now that we've got that background. Verse 21, Paul says, tell me, in Galatians 4, You who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son, the slave woman, was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. Okay, so far so good, makes sense. One of the sons, Ishmael, came from a fleshly, that is, human decision by Abraham and Sarah to try to take things into their own hands and make the promise work out. The other son, 
It was a miracle. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't do anything about it. God totally did it. And then pay attention to what Paul says in the next verses. He says this in verse 24, these things are being taken figuratively, that is, the women represent two covenants. One covenant, one relationship is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. That's Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above, that is in heaven, is free. This is the Sarah line, and she is our mother. Okay, so a little sleight of hand here, it seems like maybe. So the first thing Paul does is that he recalls this old familiar story from history, but then he does something very interesting. He makes what he calls a figural connection between what happened then that he affirms happened and what's going on today in the people's lives in Galatia. In other words, he says, the historical story was important, but we can also understand it as an analogy or a figure of what's happening today in the people he's writing to. He says, Hagar represents slavery in Mount Sinai, which is, of course, a reference to the Mosaic law, while Sarah represents another Jerusalem, the one that's in heaven that is in free, that's free, where there's not bondage to the Mosaic law. So what Paul is doing here, you see, is he's affirming the history of what happened in the past. But if you read in Galatians, you'll see he's really making the same argument he's been making all along that you and I, the Galatians, and then you and I, the same way, face a choice. Do you want to be a slave that is in bondage or do you want to be a son that inherits the promises? And these are the two choices that he's offering to us and saying the way of slavery is actually the way of Mount Sinai, the way of trying to obey the Mosaic law and add that to the gospel. The way of freedom and sonship is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul goes on. He's not quite done with his argument. Look at verse 27. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who have never born a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So he's talking about the blessing of Abraham going to all people. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you're children of promise. He's saying to any Christian, you're children of promise. And at the, that time, the son born according to the flesh, that is Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. And it's the same now. And this Paul's referring to the fact that this is what's happening in Galatia, that there's fighting going on between those two different groups, the ones who are saying you have to obey the law and those who don't. But he says, what does the scripture say? Verse 30, get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, and here's the key, brothers and sisters, any ones who's a Christian, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, <laughs> thank you, mic drop, um, I'm done. What's he saying? I hope you can see that it's, again, really the same argument if you read through Galatians that he's been making all along, that all Christians are brothers and sisters because of faith in Christ and become the true heirs of Abraham. And anyone who's not a Christian, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, is in slavery. They do not, they're not the children of God and they don't inherit the promises. 
So it's really the same argument he's been making all along throughout the whole letter, inviting us to consider, are you gonna try to add to the gospel this obedience to the law, or are you going to trust fully in Jesus as your only life? Okay, now, before then we ask the most important question, how this might apply to our lives, I thought it might be helpful to take just a few minutes to to ask, what is this showing us about how the Bible works? I thought this might be helpful because some of you may read this and you think, oh, that's great, no problem, right? Some of you may read it and say, that seems a little weird. I don't understand this. So I thought I would just take a minute and try to help explain what's going on in the way Paul is reading that story that I think might be beneficial for us. Now, books and books have been written over this for 2,000 years, so What I'm going to say is not comprehensive or the final word by any means, but I basically just want to get one idea across to you, and that's this, that that kind of what Paul calls a figural connection between Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, and what's going on in Galatia and what's going on in our lives, that comes from a key understanding of something about God that Paul has and that we should have as well, and that is that God himself is the author of all of history. You see, the figural connection between all these different things, between the two different Jerusalems and slavery versus freedom, being cast out versus the child of the promise, etc. all of that comes in Paul's mind and should be for us too, from the idea that God, all these different stories and symbols and rituals and ideas, God is the author of all of creation and all of history. And so, of course, these things connect. Right, that's what he understands. You see, unlike most religions of the world that are, that are polytheistic, that have many gods, Judaism and Christianity understands there's only one God who created everything, who sustains everything, who orchestrates everything. And therefore, of course, all of the Bible is going to work together. Of course, all these connections in history are going to be made because God is the author and in control of all things. So you see, What I want to encourage you, Paul is not playing fast and loose with the Bible, this old story, and just making it mean whatever he wants. He's motivated by this beautiful understanding that God is wise and in control of all that's happening in the world. And that's awesome. And when you begin to grasp that, you'll begin to see these beautiful mosaic patterns that are woven all throughout the whole Bible. And let me just give you a simple example. If we were to think together about the story of the young Jewish man who's captured and sold into slavery, and then he remains faithful to God. He keeps his integrity in the midst of this. And then through great suffering, he remarkably is finally raised up to the number two person in the greatest empire of the world. And because he ends up as the number two person in the empire, God uses him to rescue his his people Israel from destruction. What story am I telling you? Am I telling you the story of Joseph at the end of Genesis? Or am I telling you the story of Daniel at the end of the Old Testament? Yes, right? This is the beauty and the complexity and the power. They're different historical stories, but it all works together because God is in all of it is the point. And you can actually, there's kind of a little twist version on it in Esther where a woman is used in the same way. And if you want to read Mike Cosper's excellent book on that, you'll see that as well. And you see, this interconnectedness of the whole Bible is is beautiful and is rooted in an understanding of who our God is. And it also makes sense, you see, 
of why a lot of times in the Bible, a bunch of, like in the New Testament, a lot of verses are sort of put together that seem to come out of nowhere. Like for example, here in Galatians 4 again, where he quotes Isaiah 54 while he's telling the story of Abraham and Sarah. Do you remember he talks about the barren woman rejoicing, et cetera? That's because of the same idea that all of these things are being orchestrated by God together and it's beautiful. And then just one more thing to say about how the Bible works and I can finally bring back then Beauty and the Beast and Shrek. And that's this. What's the relationship of Beauty and the Beast and Shrek? Well, they're not identical stories, but they're very similar stories. And at the end, the key is the relationship of Shrek to Beauty and the Beast is that it all hinges on an unexpected plot twist, right? If you go this afternoon and watch the end of Beauty and the Beast and the end of the first Shrek, it's intentionally an identical scene happening where they both are transformed. What's the plot twist? The plot twist is in Beauty and the Beast, the beast becomes this handsome prince. But what happens in Shrek? She becomes an ogre and they both end up as beasts. That's the idea. And there's these parallel stories with this incredible plot twist. Friends, that is exactly what's happening here in Galatians 4. Look at verses 24 to 26 with me again. Paul is saying, these stories are analogous. There's a lot of similarity between them, but there's also an absolutely crucial plot twist that changes everything. Look at those verses again. You can look in your bulletin or... He says in verses 24 to 26, Sarah and Hagar represent two covenants. Check, all Jews would agree. Sarah's the good one, Hagar's the bad one. Everyone agrees, fine. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says the Hagar line, the slavery line, is represented by two things. Mount Sinai, what's Mount Sinai? Where the law was given, and Jerusalem, where the temple is and the Jewish people rule. So he twists the thing around to say, do you know what the Hagar line is? The Hagar line is trying to relate to God through the Mosaic covenant. Now the Jews has come. And the Sarah line, the Abraham-Sarah line, which do you remember way back at the beginning of the gospels when John the Baptist is preaching and people come to him and say, don't tell us that you know, we need to do anything and repent because we have Abraham as our father. And what does John the Baptist say to them? God can raise up children from stones if he wants. Don't claim Abraham as your father. That's the same thing going on here. He's saying, you know what the slavery line is? That is the line of trying to add to Jesus the Mosaic covenant. And the free line, the Abraham-Sarah line, is those who trust fully in Jesus alone as their savior, Jew or Gentile, male or female, educated, non-educated, religious, irreligious. That's the beautiful and absolutely essential plot twist that really the Bible is full of, especially the way the New Testament reads the old. Okay, so free seminary, there you go. Now, but I hope it's relevant. So we're finally now at the place to ask what I care the most about, you, how does this really apply to my life and your life? Well, I just want to give you two brief thoughts to conclude today. First, I'd like to invite you to read the whole Bible Christianly. 
I'd like to invite you to read the whole Bible Christianly. I want to invite you into the beauty and the joy of reading Holy Scripture centered in who God is for us in Jesus, just like Paul does. You see, the New Testament teaches that all of the Old Testament still matters. We don't throw away the Old Testament once you become a Christian, not at all. All of it still matters. And at the same time, God revealing himself in Jesus Christ means that the whole Bible, Old and New Testament together, are to be read in light of who Jesus is. Hebrews 1 describes it this way. In the past, God spoke to, a, to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, in this last age, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he, appoint, he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. In other words... Jesus is the crystal clear lens. He's the ultimate revelation of who God is. You want to figure out who God is? You look at Jesus because he is the exact representation of his being. And therefore, all that God has ever said in the Bible will make its ultimate sense when you look at, look at it through the exact representation of God's being. So friends, here we are, January's coming up. A lot of you are going to start a year-long Bible reading plan again, like the one you started in January of 2018 that went from January 1st to January 18th of last year or whatever it was, right? Listen, I know there are lots of parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. There's tons of things in the Bible I don't understand either. Difficult things, complex things, uh, things I just don't, that don't make a lot of sense. And I know that's true for you as well. I meet with you, I talk with you, and, and, I, and I feel the burden that you're, you want to read the Bible, you want to understand, but things are complex. I want to say to you, that's okay. It's okay. Imbibe in the Bible, read the Bible a lot, read Holy Scripture, and even if you don't understand it all, what you can be totally confident of is that God wants to reveal himself to you and how he reveals himself to you is looking at all of scripture through the lens of who Jesus is. So you can, even if you don't understand some complex thing in the New Testament or the Old Testament, you can look to God and say, God, just help me understand who you are in Christ Jesus for me, because all of scripture is inspired and useful for that purpose. Paul says it elsewhere in 1 Corinthians this way, all these things, all these things from the Old Testament happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction, Christian's instruction, on whom the end of the ages have come. So I just want to encourage you this year, starting today, maybe starting January 1st, whenever it is, when you're reading the Bible, I want to invite you to read it with this sort of Christ-centered lens, seeking to understand what God, how God is revealing himself through all of it. So that's the first thing. The second, more personally, is this. Rest in the promise that you are the divine heirs. Rest in the promise that you are the divine heirs. The most important thing that we can take away from any part of the Bible, including this, is what it's telling us about God. And what I want to draw out for us from the Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar story and what Paul is saying is to rest in the promise that if you are a Christian today, then you are an heir of God the inheritor of all of God's blessings. 
I mean, think about the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was the result of striving and trying to make God's deal work out by human power and ingenuity. But Isaac was the child of the promise, an impossible situation, barren and old parents that God by the Spirit spoke into reality and just created and birthed. And that's exactly what Paul's saying in Galatians. You see, our natural human tendency is just like Abram and Sarai to try to work and strive to make God's blessings come upon us by our own ingenuity. But we should instead be like Abraham and Sarah who at the end of their ropes and at the end of their hopes, look to God who smiles and says, new life, and just creates the son for them. And like Isaac, if you're a Christian today, you are an heir of the divine promise, something that you had nothing to do with in its initiation. Just like Abraham and Sarah could not make Isaac be born, this is what Paul is saying. And what I'm saying to you as well, if you are a Christian today, you can rest in the fact that that is God's work. He made that happen. And when we really see and understand how crazy that is, I think all we can do is laugh. (laughs) Laugh like Abraham and Sarah did, that me, a broken, clueless, immoral guy with nothing special about him has been born again by an act of God. I didn't make myself a child of God and neither did you. And the result is I can rest. I can laugh. I can stand in awe and wonder at that. You see, I'm afraid that So many Christians take themselves way too seriously, like this is their doing, right? And I'll tell you, taking yourself too seriously is not a place of freedom. It is a place of bondage. But hear this, when we realize the absurdity of being children of the divine promise, that frees us up to love and to rejoice and to laugh and to rest. I want to say that again, because I want this to sink in. When we realize the absurdity of being children of the divine promise, that he just does it, that frees us up to not take ourselves so seriously, but to rejoice, to love others, to laugh, and to rest. That's good news. What about you? As I've been praying for you and thinking about this morning, It's just really striking that the Bible makes clear that everyone in the world is in one of two camps. There's only really two camps. Those who are heirs of the promise in the Abrahamic line, the Sarah line, or those who are in bondage and slavery. And what's interesting is that you and I have all kinds of other lines by which we divide people, ethnicity, race, culture, education, money, Um, gifts, all these kind of things. God doesn't look at us that way. He looks at it, which line are you in? The Sarah line or the Hagar line? And what's remarkable is that the message to both of us, I think from this passage, is exactly the same. And what is that message? That message is, if you're a Christian, if you're in the Sarah line, if, sorry, if you're not a Christian, if you're in the Hagar line this morning, this message is an invitation to, 
to stop the self-reliance and attempts at overcoming your own sin and building your own religious life. And instead, turn to Jesus, who alone, by being united with him by faith, you can become born again and enter into all the, the inheritance. But if you are a Christian today, the message is the same. Stop the self-reliance, the attempt at overcoming sin by your own power, creating and conniving your way to get blessings from God, and instead, turn to Jesus. Because in him, you are the inheritor of all the blessings, no matter your background, no matter your religiosity, no matter what it is. That is the beauty and the good news of how God sees the world and what he's doing for us in Christ Jesus. And so that's why it's wonderful when we end each service by thinking about these these symbols, these elements. And there's a lot of things we could say about this, but today I want to connect what we're saying here to this idea that the way that you become from a child of slavery to a slave to being a child of the promise is nothing to do with us. It's because Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he gave his own body and let it be broken He gave his own blood and let it be poured out because otherwise we're dead. We have no hope unless Jesus initiates and completes that work. And that's exactly what he did. And so this morning, what we're doing is we celebrate the fact that when we were dead in our sins and bondage to slavery, God made us alive through the work of Jesus. And that's good news. And so if you're a Christian today, use this final part of our service to renew your hope and your faith and not of self-reliance and not trying to connive blessings from God or trying to get into his family by doing things, but to rest in the fact that he has made you alive in him. If you're not a Christian, we are absolutely thrilled you're here. This is a grace. It's a gift to us that you're here, and this is a grace to you that you're here. This is nothing magical. This is not going to do anything magical for you. Don't partake. This is, the Bible's really clear. This is an act of faith. So if you're not a Christian, awesome. Just stay where you're seated, listen, pay attention, pray. I'd love to talk with you, maybe some of the people as well. But if you are a Christian, come forward in a few minutes and partake of this rejoicing and resting in God's grace toward us in Christ. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Human Flourishing Podcast. To learn more or get in touch with me, visit my website, jonathanpennington.com.